tell you something for nothing. It's not easy being a one-man show. Uh, welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. And in particular, welcome to the lovely person who signed up on patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm last week. Not going to name any names because you might want to be a lovely anonymous benefactor. If you want to shout out, send me a message and I'll let you know. But it's very generous of you to be signing up and to be contributing a little bit towards this community podcast, which this week has gone absolutely crackers. Uh, I think I've recorded about four different intros at this stage and then I just kept uh, having to change them and change them and change them and I got uh, lovely people getting in touch to say oh you know can you interview this person or can you talk to that person and uh, yeah so it just went mad all together and then at the very sort of last gasp I ended up um, changing the whole thing around completely. So we're going to hear from a couple of different people this week. One is Miranda Murray Eriksson, and she's going to talk to us about her new album, which is called Tänka Om. It's in Swedish. But the interesting thing about Miranda is, or Murray, as she's better known to the people in Växjö, down in uh, the, sort of the midlands of Sweden, um, she started translating the music of none other than the great Irish blues guitarist and rock and roller Rory Gallagher into um, Swedish. And I love Rory Gallagher, it has to be said. One of the things that's, it hasn't got pride to place me home just yet, right? But there's a very famous photograph of Rory Gallagher and Phil Linnett, who were, you know, one short of the holy trinity for me of Irish rock music. You couldn't go putting Bono or Bob Geldof or anybody else in there. Leave the two boys at it, right? So I wanted to talk to Murray, and uh, I got in touch with her through At The Andershon, who's a good friend of mine going back many years on social media, and we tend to meet when she comes up here to Stockholm. She's a big fan of Zach Elbazadi and AIK and that. So I uh, wanted to talk to her. And then there are a couple of other interviews, because I was asking for your suggestions, of course. You will have noticed on social media there that I went out asking for suggestions. Who should I interview? Who should I talk to this week, short week in Sweden? And you came back with some great suggestions, and I ended up speaking to most of them. But then I noticed that the Irish Embassy was pushing something called the Supermarket Art Fair, which is happening in Khar Holman. And there was an Irish artist from Tralean County Kerry, I think it is, uh, Laura Fitzgerald. So last night I went over there. There was a sort of a private viewing there. Now, what a private viewing means... I don't know, but I would assume it was by invitation only. So I talked to the Ormston House uh, Collective, the people who were organising it, Neve and Sian was there, and to Laura herself about her art. That's coming up in a little while, right? So that's um, one of these out-in-the-field reports, that kind of thing. And what makes that possible is the people who support this on Patreon, right? If you can support on Patreon, patreon.com, Arrowman in Stockholm. If you can support on Swish, one two three two four two four one six six, Or you can do what the wonderful Martin Hessian and the amazing people at Veerstrom's Pub, some of the most attractive people in the world, it has to be said, at Veerstrom's Pub, uh, who sponsor it every month. They're one of our corporate sponsors and we love them for it. Uh, you can get in touch to the, with the Irish and Sweden podcast at gmail.com and uh, make a contribution. Now, it may not be that there's great advertising to be had, you may not reach a whole new market or that kind of thing, but you're supporting something that gives something back to the community. So if you have a bar or a restaurant or a consultancy firm or, you know, whatever... Uh, get in touch and throw a few bob into the pot because if you do so well then of course we can talk to Murray Eriksson about how she translated the music of Rory Gallagher into the Swedish language Murray, could I just start by asking you uh, how you came to love uh, the music of Rory Gallagher, right? Because you're a lot lo- younger than old guys with me with grey beards, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I was born in February in, uh, 1995, so um, <laughs> I was 
few months he passed away. But, uh, but was, uh, on the in the pandemic uh, 2020, I couldn't uh, go out and play uh, music for people, so I started. Uh, I I should learn all about one <laughs> music, and so I uh, was uh, completely yeah. Uh, Obsessed on uh, um, Rory's yeah, obsessed. Yes, yeah, so I will. I will learn all of all of all the things about him. So yeah. <laughs> and, and what was I, it about his music, mother? Because you know, um, I mean, for me in the sort of the seventies and the eighties, it was he was bringing blues, he was bringing you know rock music to Ireland and that. But can you remember what song it was that you heard and you went, okay, I have to listen to this guy? I think it was um, his. Uh, First uh, album for Gallagher from uh, 1970, and there was uh, like uh, I fall apart, uh, so really <laughs> masterpiece, I think. Uh, and uh, it was uh, I saw some of the uh, documentaries or uh, clips on YouTube about him, and I think he was good lyrics and uh, really authentic person like <laughs> he was uh, so uh, personal uh, in his uh, performance and uh, how he speak to people uh, yeah was, uh, he, he had a, a reputation as a, a brilliant live performer and he was one of those people who in that time in the troubles in northern ireland he didn't care he went and he played in northern ireland and he played in the republic and he played in england and he didn't give a shit you know um are you sort of interested in the blues yourself like was, was that sort of you know your first love as music yeah i'm really interested in blues uh, and uh, swedish singer-songwriting and blues is uh, similar in some mm. ways um and um many people like uh Yes, we Cornelius Bresvik. Uh, mm. He was really blue, bluesy too. So I think it's the uh, he, he walk, <laughs> yeah. uh, like uh, hand in hand, these yeah. two songs. <laughs> you you decided to start translating some of Rory's songs into Swedish. Which songs did you translate and why? Uh, yeah, I translate uh, made a couple of translations about. Um, I fall apart is one of them, uh, and uh, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, mm. And uh, it's you from first album too. So uh, and uh, Edge in Blue, I uh, uh, yeah, uh, I uh, on the way to write <laughs> write it down. Okay, too. that's uh, yeah. So I, cool. And are you happy with the translations? Do you find it? easier to sing them in Swedish? Do they mean as much to you in Swedish as they do in English? They mean, uh, uh, I listen to his and um, I take what the feelings, so I, I don't uh, translate it uh, like uh, uh, straight from... Word for word kind of Word thing, for right? word, no. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I translate the, the feeling and the meaning. I from uh, how I uh, think it. So interpret these things yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so um yeah and i i always sing in swedish uh yeah the language i most uh, comfort to write the song yeah. Yeah. and when you play you know when you play a gig and you play one of your translations of rory gallagher's songs do people come up to you and go i remember that that's a rory gallagher song or do they do they recognize it at all 
yeah, they recognize it. So uh, I'm very glad for that. Um, and now uh, when I will um, have a release concert, I, I, I play it with them, my band, so uh, which is uh, fantastic musicians. So uh, it will be fantastic. <laughs> Can't wait to get out there and play some Rory songs and sing them in Swedish. When, when you do translate them, you know, because some music fans are dicks, right? So, you know, they translate, you go, oh, you know, here's a woman singing Rory Gallagher songs. You shouldn't touch these things. Do you think that your Swedish versions, that they make them more accessible so that more Swedish people can hear Rory's music and, and get the joy that we've gotten out of it? Yeah, I hope so. I hope I can, um, like, uh, people who uh, don't uh, have heard of about Roy uh, can uh, start listening to him. So I, I want to spread sp- sp- uh, his uh, songs uh, to other persons. Well, were your your parents or were your family fans of Rory's? Because I know there's like among older people, there's a lot of people in Scandinavia in particular. There's a, still a huge festival in Norway of Rory Gallagher's music. But so were people around you fans of Rory? Yeah, uh, was my uh, my mom who. Uh, had a few uh, uh, LPs, uh, yeah. Regalia LPs. When she started to talk about him, because uh, uh, she didn't uh, have listened to him for a couple of years, but uh, then she remembered, oh, Regalia, I need to listen to him again. So uh, then we start uh, to, <laughs> like nerds, <laughs> learn about, all about him. So uh, we next week we will uh, uh, travel to uh, Ballyshannon and uh, the festival there. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're in Ballyshannon with these Swedish translations? Um, oh, no. I'd, well, maybe. <laughs> but uh, I, we travel uh, there to uh, listen to on be on the festival uh, for Fantastic. a Gallagher Tribute Festival. <laughs> so, oh, man. You're really right excited now, about that. <laughs> you, you, you just shot into my top three favorite <laughs> Swedish artists with that news. That's fantastic. <laughs> Have you been to Ireland before? No, it's the first time. So I'm really excited about the problem. <laughs> I've been in uh, England one, but it's the first time in Ireland. So, yeah. what, what do you expect from Bally Shannon? Uh, I <laughs> I hope uh, to uh, start talking uh, to some other who will uh, be on the festival and maybe meet them and talk and uh, maybe I hope I can play something I can borrow a guitar somewhere play and uh, listen to a lot of uh, music. Cool. Look, as soon as we hang up the phone here, I'm going to go talking to people at Bally Sharon and go, okay, you've got to get Murray on stage here, right? We need to have one of those. Stuff. And if you do do yeah. that, is your mom going with you? Is she? Yeah. So there's, uh, we we both so travel together. So. Brilliant. Yeah. So, so make sure that she films that on her phone because we want that for next week's podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I want to ask you about your new album because as I was saying uh, off air there, I just had a, a quick listen to it. I haven't been able to listen to all the songs yet, but you mentioned your love of Swedish singer-songwriters, Swedish folk music. How long have you been playing and writing songs yourself? Uh, I've... Uh played for uh, audience uh, since I was 14, uh, but uh, I started to uh, write music when I was uh, uh, six, but then I didn't, uh, I couldn't uh, play guitar. So when I was eight, I started to learn guitar and uh, write the first songs. So, uh, how, how would you describe your songs? Are they 
Swedish folk music. I know how I describe it, but I want to hear how, how you would describe it. Is it Swedish folk music? Is it rock music? It's like yeah, folk rock, I think. <laughs> I should, uh, yeah. Um, like modern, uh, we call it in Swedish, visa. Uh, yeah. So visa, the, yeah. the best translation I have is like, you know, it's kind of like folk music, but, you know, Ireland is full of different kinds of folk music. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's a good sort of overall word that catches everything you know uh, in terms of Swedish folk music apart from Rory Gallagher obviously who has influenced you a little bit you mentioned Cornelius Rieswick who was a great uh, Dutch musician who moved here learned Swedish and has become a huge part of the folk scene here if Irish people are the Irish community in Sweden want to listen to Swedish folk music what should they be looking for um, one of my uh, biggest ins inspirations uh, is uh, Stefan Sundström uh, and uh, a guy who called uh, his name is uh, Don Victor. Mm -hmm. uh, so they are really, really good. Uh, Don Victor is also a really good performer. Uh, Stefan Sundström too. Uh, they are mm -hmm. like, um, can take the audience <laughs> in a good way, I think. And is there many people of your age, because you're 27 years old, right? And we had a girl about the same age, a woman the same age as you, speaking about traditional Irish music. You know, the music we play with fiddles and bowerons and pipes. And she played that music. But when she was growing up, she was a little bit embarrassed about that because that wasn't seen as cool. Uh, do you feel the same way about Swedish folk music that, you know, people prefer Beyonce or, or Jay-Z or whatever? Yeah, I was the the only one uh, in in school who listened to. Uh, they 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 said they, that I listened to weird music <laughs> and uh, call call me the the uh, the only hippie in uh, school. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was the only in my class who was interested about music yeah. overall. So um, yeah, but I didn't care. I like uh, I was the the <laughs> solo hippie. Who, like play guitar and uh, talk well, about weird music <laughs> yeah, well look at here you are now your, your album is released on spotify um we're speaking ahead of your release party which is happening on this coming saturday i believe uh, are you booked up now for the summer are you going to be playing folk festivals all over sweden this summer or where can we go and see you can uh, yeah it's a couple of uh, book, uh gigs um one in uh Trukos in uh Blekinge. Very <laughs> um, nice, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, like a uh, like cafe and art uh, and uh, some place more like uh, most, uh, mostly, mostly south, south Sweden. In so. the south of Sweden. Okay, yeah. I'll try because uh, hopefully people will be out on, on the roads and the highways and they might bump into you somewhere there. But we'll try to include some of those uh, dates in the show notes for the podcast. Maria, yeah. what do you want to achieve with your music? Do you want to be in Schlagerfestival and do you want to be number one on Spotify? Do you want to be a millionaire? Or are you just happy to be able to share great songs like the ones that Rory Gallagher wrote and the ones that you write? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to write and I play. Uh, I'm happy to meet the audience and uh, I don't want to be rich or play in t television or something. But, uh, I. I want to just have uh, enough to uh, play. Yeah. Just so enough to get so much, by. So much I can. Yeah. yeah. Enough to get uh, by and just be able to share your music. Is it is the folk music scene here very big? Is there a lot of people like you, a lot of artists like you playing this music, or is it sort of getting smaller? Uh, small, uh, 
Fanger, I think. Um, we most of us know each other, so uh, we uh, we help each other a lot uh, in uh, Visam. <laughs> so, in Visfalen, yeah. in the, the world Vis of folk music. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, as I said, everything I've heard so far, I just had a quick flick through uh, the tracks on your album so far, and it sounds fascinating. I'm going to let you pick one. We're going to play out with one song from your album. So can you tell us which song you want me to play on the podcast and why you want me to play it? Well, what does it mean to you? Uh, I think Avdeling 23, Word 23, is a song about... Uh, when you uh, you can't always uh, feel good, you can't always be happy. So uh, it's a, a song about uh, it's okay to be sad and it's uh, okay to feel feel ill, be ill. Fantastic. That's a great way to finish it. Murray Eriksson, I want to wish you all the best with your new album. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you play live, maybe in Stockholm. If not, I'll have to come and see you in Blekinge. And we shall play out on Av Dailing Shitea from Murray's new album. And the best of luck in Bally Shannon. And I mean that. I need a video from your mother. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.
That was the magical Murray Erickson there. And uh, we kicked off with her translation of the fantastic Rory Gallagher's Don't Know Where I'm Going, complete with harmonica. Fantastic version altogether. A little live clip from her Instagram there. And we finished off with a track from her album called Tank Om that you'll find now on Spotify. That was called Of Dealing Shitria. And as she explained, Ward number 23. Uh, and the song is about how it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to have to go away and collect yourself and get better and return again if you're feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, I wasn't really feeling under the weather when I had to drive to Harald Holman on uh, last Thursday. Last Thursday was a bank holiday in Sweden. And that's all right for you bums. That's all right for you people with normal jobs. No, no, but the poor fella making the podcast. Oh, there's no days off here, boys and girls. So um, I was at the Swedish Cup final, which was, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the worst games of football I have ever seen. It was at the Tele2 Arena in Stockholm and Hammarby were playing against Malmö and Malmö came out. It's just dreadful. It was just awful. You wouldn't see it in the Phoenix Park back home, lads. And it ended up that Malmö won on penalties and I was just delighted to get out of there and jump into the car under the Tele2 Arena and drive out to Karlholmen. Uh, where I got the chance to have a look at the supermarket art fair. And I've said it before on this podcast, I don't pretend to know a whole lot about art. It's one of those things, I kind of know what I like, but I don't know a whole lot about it. So it was magic to get out there and to... um, to see what was going on there and the fact that there was an Irish gang out there uh, exhibiting just made it all the better and it was what they call a private viewing right so when you have a private viewing that's like you know uh, people who are sort of invited so it's not open to the public it's usually held just you know just before uh, the actual sort of exhibition itself kicks off you know so uh, I wanted to to get over there and to have a look and it was probably the only chance I was going to get because I'm going to be away working for the weekend and that you know so uh, I wanted to get over there and talk to the people who were over there and they were from Ormston House in Limerick I think it's actually in Limerick and it's basically a sort of an art collective or an art organisation kind of thing that organises exhibitions including ones all the way over here in Sweden and when it comes to sport and that kind of thing I know how it works when it comes to music I know how it works a little bit but I wasn't really sure of what you know how, how do you wind up at an exhibition in Sweden how do you wind up you know what what success for people for artists who are showing how do they make their work and that kind of thing so I wanted to go over and get answers to all these questions so I met uh, the artist Laura Fitzgerald I met Neve and Sian Sarsian from uh, Ormston House uh, Sian's a communicator and I talked to them all at, in their exhibition right so they have a space there it's like three walls where Laura's work is hanging up in the wall and there's a video installation and that and I just talked to them and I just I found a really fascinating conversation and I'm delighted to be able to share it with you now unfortunately by the time you hear this it, it, they're going to be gone right the exhibition is going to be end on Sunday and this is going to be out on the Monday morning so if you haven't had it if you didn't get to see it before you heard the podcast then you're not going to get to see it but I really hope that both Laura and that uh, the girls from Ormston House will be back again very soon with another exhibition uh, because it really was, it was fascinating. Both the work that they put into getting here and the work that Laura was exhibiting was really well worth seeing. But shall have a listen and we'll see if we can bring visual art into your ears this week. Mm-hmm. 
This is the first time I've ever tried to do visual art on a podcast. So Laura, I'm going to need you to explain to me where we are and what it is we're doing. Okay, um, well we're in Supermarket Art Fair in Stockholm and um, we're sitting in a booth uh, where I've got a series of drawings on the wall um, which are, I suppose, very probably recognisable to an Irish audience. There's a lot of fields, um, there's some cow sheds, uh, there's a digger, uh, there's some bales. And so it's quite a bringing, I suppose, like the Irish landscape to Sweden in a way. And we're here until Sunday and um, we're part of um, a group of artists, well, a group of curator artists from Ormston House. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of like a mini exhibition in Sweden. Uh, why come all the way over here to show your illustrations on bales of hay and of barns and of fields and that kind of thing? What, what was it that brought you here? Uh, I think it's the idea of like, uh, you know, Ireland's a great art scene and like there's a lot of really good sports at home, but I suppose like the Irish have been forever loving Ireland and being in love with Ireland, but also wanting to get the feck out as well. So um, I think it's that desire maybe to see what's um, going on in like other countries and also maybe it's to find an audience for the work, you know. Um, so I think it was an exciting opportunity when Niamh, Brown from Ormston House asked me would I be interested in coming over yeah just a sense of adventure I think the Irish are quite good for wanting to from St. Brendan onwards exactly <laughs> we, yeah. we want to go further afield you know the Brendan voyage but this yeah. time I, I, that's a perfect segue to bring in Niamh Niamh you're a, a veteran at this stage of the Swedish art scene you've been here a few times a few times yeah so Ormston House has been exhibiting here since 2014 um, and thankfully I've been here for every time that we've come over um, so it's our seventh time and we're delighted to have Laura with us um, this time. And I guess in terms of inviting Laura, um, Supermarket, the art fair, um, proposed a particular theme for exhibitors to respond to or to consider when they were um, proposing artworks and their applications. Um, and it's, the theme is called Holy Fluff, which sounds a little bit silly and a bit ridiculous, but it's about this idea of bringing humour and lightheartedness into the world especially when we're kind of dealing with a lot of very serious issues like climate change or conflict or lots of different issues that we're facing. And when I read the brief, I, um, I instantly thought of Laura because she does think about and bring a very unique sense of humour and a very Irish sense of humour as well into her work um, that I just haven't seen in other with other artists. But it's also like dealing with particular issues like climate change and the impact on the landscape, the impact on the agricultural sector as well, um, which is so important in Ireland, um, but just bringing a very unique take on that and trying to bring humour into it. And So there's something kind of here for everyone. I think people can enjoy the, the drawings and the work for what it is in terms of a material. They're very colourful, they're very engaging, but actually if you want to go a bit deeper, there's, there's a lot more to it as well. So it's nice to have a kind of a layered engagement or a layered possibility of engagement for audiences here. We move over to the other side of the table. Cyan, you're here as well. What's your role over here now, other than sitting here and looking extremely <laughs> intelligent about these things? It's hard done. Uh, well, I work as a communications assistant with Ormston House, uh, so I'm delighted. I've started there in February, and on my first day, Niamh said to me, do you want to come to Sweden? And I said, yeah, also. I will, yeah. <laughs> um, I was here last year as well, so I know some of the guys from Supermarket um, from exhibiting here last year myself, but I'm so excited to be here with Laura's work. I saw it in Eva last year as well in Limerick. Mm. So it's a, a biennale that happens in Limerick City, a huge exhibition that takes over Limerick City um, every two years. And Eve was actually a curator of that project. Um, 
project lead and I should say what's the producer, word? Producer, producer, producer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, get, if there's I one thing I've learned about art, get the fucking titles the right or we'll all be in trouble, right? The titles are crucified back home. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll take that again. She's the producer. She's marvellous and she's the producer. There we go. <laughs> so it's all very interconnected all together. But I love Laura's work when I saw it in um, Limerick City Gallery last year. So it's really fun to be able to be here setting it up in Stockholm again and see people's reaction to it. I think it's been really positive as well. Are you involved in the arts yourself, apart from... I am. I'm a graduate of Limerick School of Art and Design, so I study painting graduate 2020 and, um, yeah, work as a painter in Wickham Street Studios in Limerick City as well. It seems to be a very sort of a diverse sort of a scene because you work with this, you have your own work as well. Is that the way you have to do it to survive at the moment, Laura, is it? Um, I think so, yeah. I think, like, artists and curators, like, it's a small community in Ireland, so I think... You know, I suppose over time you get to know people within the network and um, I suppose there's a lot of transferable skills within the arts. So like, you know, people who um, are artists are often good at organising things. I know traditionally maybe artists have had like a reputation of being like sitting in the attic pondering life out the window. But actually in the reality, artists tend to be very organised, um, have to multitask, um, have to be good at different, have different skill sets. So yeah, I think we're... We can be quite, um, I suppose, uh, an active community and we do tend to, you know, be involved in different sectors. Like I teach a bit, um, I make work, you know, then I'm exhibiting, um, like Neve comes from a, an artist background, she studied to be an artist as well. Uh, she's curator in Ormson House, like Cyan, you know, studied art and is now working in Ormson House. So yeah, I think, I think within the pool, I think, um, you know, when you're an artist and you're making artworks, like you have to be able to do a lot of different tasks, like you're often you know, thinking, making, um, then installing, organising, organizing, yeah. um, and there's a lot of admin involved. So yeah, you kind of have to have your head screwed on. So we're trying to debunk the myth around the like really lazy, you know, artist <laughs> in the garret. You know, the, uh, like literally the hardest working people I know are artists, musicians, and writers. And you know, they're a bit like. There's a friend of mine who's a journalist who often says that if he was paid by the hour, he'd be better off working in Starbucks, you know. But, Niamh, when you look at a Swedish audience in particular, right, because, okay, you decided you were going to bring Laura over here. So was it because you thought that her work would appeal to a Swedish audience or because you thought her work deserved to be shown to them? Or how did you make that decision? Um, very good question. It's actually a bit of both, I suppose. I mean, there's always... We always wanted... Or, uh, how do I say this? Um... We always, pissing somebody I know, off. I know, I'm very careful. But no, but in terms of it's really important to us to make sure that we're showing like some of the best of Irish artists uh, internationally and in Sweden as well. So, I mean, it is about like showing Laura's work to a Swedish audience and that's really important. And especially because she does have a very unique voice within kind of an Irish context. And the work is very much of Ireland. You know, it's about landscape, it's about the weather, it's about all of these things that are very important in the country. It also, thinking of Swedish audiences, like what I've found coming back here again, um, like in Sweden, maybe in Ireland, we're a bit more polite in some ways. The Swedish people are, tend to be a bit more direct in terms of their engagement. You know, it's really interesting watching audiences as they move through this fair because some people will kind of walk on by if they're kind of not drawn in. Other people will really spend a lot of time and they'll tell you exactly what they think and they'll ask really interesting questions, which you often don't get in Ireland. So that was really interesting. And I think as well, what's really nice to see in Sweden is that actually, like people at the fair here, they bring their families. It's a day out. You know, you see a lot of children, you see a lot of kids. So as well, like Laura's work is so colourful. It's really engaging. Um, there's a lot of humour. So it's something that like 
people, um, audiences of all ages can enjoy in some way as well. So making sure that there is a nice balance kind of across generations, across backgrounds as well, that there is something for everyone. So that was a huge part of it as well. So, and when you've looked at the work around here from Swedish artists, from other artists around the world, what are the similarities with Laura's work and what are the differences? What sticks out about Swedish art for you when you've seen it here? Well, I suppose I've seen a lot of Swedish art. I've seen a lot of, we're across from some Georgians, we're beside some Finnish um, and Norwegian art as well. And we kind of feel like we're in a little space shuttle here. Like we're, we're down in the basement of the shopping centre. Um, so, you know, no sunlight or anything. And we're all kind of here in this sort of Eurovision atmosphere of different people representing our different countries and I think Laura is a brilliant representative for Ireland here um, and the work really stands out I feel both in Neve's presentation of it and just like on the walls it really pops out I think a lot of people have come here and found like the professionalism of how um, it's shown and just the real humour like a lot of artists try to be funny and fail miserably and I think Laura's actually amazing. I think it? I might be one of them on this podcast. <laughs> well, you can tell when you're trying, someone's trying to make you laugh. But Laura, like I was here sitting, reading some of her publications, like laughing out loud. I think people must have thought I was mad as they were going past. Well, I have to say, I was looking at Laura's website before I came down here. There was like there's a, a, a sense of humour just crackles the whole time when we look at it, you know, and, and see we're, we're like wh- how you describe your own work. I'll tell you what we're going to do, right? Because this is what you do on podcasts: is you take visual art and you try to get Laura to describe it. Can we just stand up and have a look over here at some of these things, right? Because unfortunately, by the time the podcast come out, people won't be able to to come here and see it. But hopefully, they'll have a chance to see it again. So, this is—is is this the first picture that you want people to see when they come in, or how is yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, this one. I think. I think when I was, um, you know, in discussions with Neve about coming over, Neve said like she really wanted this one in the show. So, yeah. it's um, it's a drawing of um, it's a drawing that I made with um, uh, sharpie markers, which are like permanent markers, and I kind of started this series of drawings during lockdown because like. Uh, I live in Kerry mm-hmm. and um, at the time like a lot of the art shops were closed down because of Covid yeah. so it was actually quite difficult to get um, materials and um, and we were doing our like weekly food shop in um, in, in Tralee and um, that was kind of a time when I could actually buy some of the materials so I started buying these um, permanent markers and then um, just I suppose maybe it was the move to Kerry as well but like it, it, suddenly it seemed to me very important to like have the weather in the work so this drawing it's um it's a drawing of a field and then the center of the field the field is very green i should say like almost like an electric green and then in the center of the field there's this building that looks a bit like a shed and it's um it's based on my father's old milking parlor at home in, in county kerry where like all during the 90s he milked cows there every morning and every evening and um, it's now a workshop where I, I used to make um, metal pieces but um, then over the shed there's this very um, I suppose colourful rainbow um, and then in the background and all running kind of through the rainbow and through the shed through the field there are these um, very um, I suppose characteristic <laughs> bands of rain that you would um, sheets of rain as we call them in Kerry yeah. um, which you can see it, actually where we live you can kind of see weather approaching because we're on the we're on the Atlantic seaboard so you can kind of see rain coming in and often if you go for a quick walk you'd be kind of conscious that like you need to hurry up the pace and get home so you I want to very quick on occasion you yeah. want to make it really quick <laughs> so I kind of wanted to bring the weather into the work and like that sense of how we have to learn to live with the climate when you when you live in Kerry and um, 
and then the the piece is called um, Powerful People Promises and I suppose growing up you know we would have had like books about um, biblical stories which we kind of were fascinated with because it was like um, the ark and Noah's ark and um, Joseph's um, multicolour coat and so the rainbow kind of thinking about like when people promise you things and I suppose it was very much thinking about like the climate movement and you know kind of thinking of the struggles that like everyday people are feeling a a lot of guilt around their kind of impacts on the planet but you know that that we're kind of then promised different things by large corporations about that they'll slow down their um, you know emissions and so yeah I wanted to kind of acknowledge that I suppose Um, and then I should say that at the kind of bottom part of the drawing um, there's some text which reads um he told them it would eventually stop he said it would eventually stop but it, it did not so I suppose thinking about the idea of like what people say and do and I suppose yeah that would be very much linked to like mm. the political sphere and you know kind say, of hoping saying, for change yeah. and it not coming maybe or, or just saying things to make people feel better exactly. but not knowing or yeah, caring or doing exactly, anything about it exactly yeah? and I think that's that's certainly an Irish problem but I think that's yeah. an international problem we all share the same problem over, over what people say they might do and what actually happens you know do you know what, when you started talking about the environment there, I was thinking not too far from here in town, Grace Thunberg sits there every Friday with our school strike for the climate, right? right? And every time you ask her, what do you want people to do? She says, I want politicians to start treating this crisis like a crisis. And it's sort of echoed in the picture that you're showing me here, because that's that's all she wants is take the fucking thing seriously, yeah. is what she's saying. Yeah. When you were in Tralee, you know, the, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, are you, does what she does and what young people like her are doing, does mm. that have any influence on your work at oh, all? Totally, yeah. It echoes because, in there. Yeah, because I feel really guilty. I mean, I'm a bit older than herself, but I'm 38 now. But, like, you do think about, you know, the generations that come after us and, like, what way we're leaving the planet. Mm. Um, so, and, like, I'm from a farming community, so, like, I would have grown up with nitrogen and mm. you know spreading fertilizer and that being a big event and that yeah. and people spending the big a lot of money. Plastic sacks of stuff exactly. being spread around, yeah. And even the greens in the landscape, I suppose, you know, in my drawings, the greens are often quite a lurid green. You know, mm. they're almost like a um, slightly sinister shade of green. Yeah. But but in reality, like when you drive through landscapes all over Ireland, that green is because there's nitrogen pumped into it. It's not because okay, it's fair enough. We've you know moist, a lot of moisture in the climate, but. We, we pump a lot of nitrogen into the soil and then once it rains heavily, that nitrogen gets run, it runs off into rivers and it takes oxygen out and fish die. And, yeah, and so, the whole country just glows. With and it glows. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, in, ter- in terms of tourism, you know, we're, you know, a green country and that's yeah. great, but it, there's more to it than just looking really beautiful and green. Yeah, it's kind of like, where does the green come from yeah. is the question we want so to be So I think, like, right, term, like I, I do, of course, like, yeah, empathise and, and feel her her pain and I think she's doing an amazing job I'd be worried for her in terms of like the pressure she's under as a young person to like put that on her shoulders you know she's she's not doing too badly now she's a bit older now and I've interviewed Mm. her many times over the years you know her dog is from Cork by the way Oh wow! so uh, we have a good laugh about that but she has become an awful lot better at saying no to people you know so if you just turn up to interview her she'll go no you know you have to contact her beforehand and you remember when she was in I think she was in Madrid or something they were chasing trains and all sorts of stuff with her I'm not going to ask you to describe every picture that you 
have up here. Like, but sure. I'm just when I pass my eye over them, seeing an awful lot of rain there. Yeah, a lot of rain, and it's getting worse actually in the two newer works. <laughs> Is it? That's yeah. like more like Ukrainian rain because they have a lot of the blue and the yellow yeah, in them, and, yellow and the rain's there. getting worse. And just I suppose, yeah, I think we're all feeling it as well after you know COVID and two years being kind of locked down of you know that we were maybe going to emerge out into the roaring 20s and everyone's going to be back in the pub and yeah. we're all going to be having a great time and dancing and yeah. of course things have gotten just progressively worse, worse like yeah, yeah. And, I, and I feel like I have to acknowledge that some way yeah. in the drawings you know but like in one way you may be acknowledging that but they're still very colourful they're still very yeah, humorous they're still, still hope you know yeah yeah you have to because you know otherwise I, so I want the work to do that too like have a bit of I think humour is a great antidepressant you know yeah. if you can kind of laugh if you can see, like what Father Ted did, I think Father Ted yeah. did an amazing job. Like Dermot Morgan did an amazing job of seeing the darkness of you know what what the bad parts of, of Irish Catholicism did, and then turned that on its head. And he used humour in a way that like lifted things up out of that dark space. So I'm hoping maybe in the visual art sphere that I can use humour as a way to kind of bring a bit of hope. You know, because you have to have hope, no matter how bad things get. Like you have to believe that things are going to get better, even though it seems ridiculous. Yeah. You know. Well, what gives you hope? Now, when you look at the world around it, like, yeah. I was looking at this thing, as we were talking now, we're a couple of days after another mass shooting in America, and you just want to throw up your hands and go, I'm just sick of this shit, you know? I know, So, I know. when you're living down in Tralee and Kerry, mm. I'd imagine it's a beautiful landscape, nitrate, notwithstanding, you know? Yeah, yeah, What sure. kind of thing sort of makes you get up in the morning and go, do you know what, I want to make another bright and colourful and funny picture and communicate this to people? Yeah, um, I think, like, humour, I do think, honestly, like, humour, humans laughing together. Yeah. And, like, obviously, humour is social occupation. You can't, okay, you can laugh on your own, but I think there needs to be like a reader of the humour, you know, yeah. whether it's a, a joke told or something you listen there to. There has to be an interaction yeah. there somewhere for it and to I happen. I think just like the joy and humour, I think that kind of makes worth, it makes things worthwhile and like, and I suppose social interactions and nature, like preserving nature. I think for me, like in Sweden and seeing how the, the, the how Stockholm is kind of designed where nature doesn't feel like something that's um, cordoned off from the city. Yeah. Like it feels quite interwoven, which I, I suppose is a first-timer to that. I find that radically different. And um, so like the idea that maybe we could learn to live with nature in a more harmonious way, even within Ireland, you know, better planning um, and like people living more like, because I think Irish people, as much as we want to get away from Ireland sometimes, there's a real lure to go back to it. And we want yeah. to go back to things like the humour, the landscape and things like that so if we can learn to kind of for me I suppose in the drawings and what keeps me going is a way to like deal with aspects of like protecting maybe landscape or caring for it a bit more and and also creativity and imagination so like I think imagination is really important to hold on to as like a tool for hope yeah. um, and like being creative like the arts and protecting the arts um, both writing and music and, and visual art I think um, they're really special and I hope I do hope in, within the capitalist kind of model that we won't forget. Yeah. No one wants to live in a shopping centre, even though ironically we're standing in the <laughs> yeah. underbelly of a shopping centre, but we're amongst like, you know, a hundred artists exhibiting within this art fair. Well, it's really the perfect juxtaposition, right? Because if you look mm. at, I, I have Patreon for this podcast and I'm forever talking about going to patreon.com forward. So here's the plug, lads. Yeah. Patreon.com, airbalance.com. Right? And the whole thing of patronage going back to, you know, the, the Italian wealthy families who paid yeah. artists to create work and that kind of thing. Yeah. Somehow it has to happen because somehow yeah. somebody, like people like you and people like me have to be given the space 
to do and like you know yeah. you can't live on you know on love alone as the no, saying goes you, can't, you know you can't and, and I have to say um, like the Arts Council in Ireland like they they I think as time goes on and I, now I'm a relative newcomer to like receiving funding but I have found that um, the, I feel like the trajectory is going in a really in a really positive in a healthy manner so like yeah. Um, because of the pandemic, a lot of artists um, were able to. There was a new funding um, uh, pot kind of made yeah. available called the Agility Award, and a lot of artists who'd never received funding before um, were suddenly able to receive some some funding. And I think all artists ever want is time, and that goes for across the spectrum, whether you're a writer, a poet, or mm. visual artist. So you, you just want time to do the thing that you love, and that I think is a, a healthy thing for people, and that prevents a lot of things like anxiety and depression, and you know a whole host of things. So. Um, organisations like the Arts Council they're creating spaces where people can be more themselves you know and then if that fits in then to kind of um, I suppose a, a sustainable model where people you know greater audiences can see the outputs and understand what you do with that time and money you know that you're, you're creating um, works of art I think that then leads to a better society you know a healthier way of living because you know it's like um not all of us want to be working nine, nine to five and in a job that we, you know, we all have passions, I think. Yeah. You know, maybe it takes a while to find them, but, and then if it's supported by government institutions, mm. um, then that, that works really well together, I think. And the Arts Council are doing a really good job, I think. Mm. That's, this is my focus, the Arts Council now. <laughs> there you go. I'm Pugger Patrick, you're Pugger the Arts <laughs> yeah, exactly. Council, they'd be delighted. Yeah. Send this in with the receipts exactly. when you go back, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Could I ask you, because I mean, obviously, you know the girls here, Neve and and, and, and uh, my God, there's robots over there doing something. They're going to have to go and have a look at them. Mm-hmm. But um, the PUP, the Pandemic Unemployment Payment, the mm-hmm. artist that you know back home, yeah. I know a musician, for instance, and he was a brilliant songwriter, right? Yeah. But he played in the pubs of Temple Bar, which meant he was playing 10 or 12 gigs a week, you know, going yeah. from one pub to the other, never had time to write a song. And during the pandemic, he wrote loads of songs, which he's now trying to find a microphone. Yeah. But he really had a great time writing those songs. Yeah. Did that sort of free people to it create did. art? It did. I think so. I mean, I'm not underestimating the fact that the pandemic was very isolated for people and you know there were like people went through really hard times but I think the positive aspects of the pandemic sped up actually funnily enough it sped up some of the what we looked in the Scandinavian countries like the idea of like a universal basic income yeah they've had that in Finland yeah yeah so now they're bringing that in on a trial basis in Ireland for artists so um, it's going to be decided I think in the next two months of like there'll be a trial um, basis of 2,000 applicants will be able to receive um, a basic uh, um, income for I think it's for two years on a trial basis and there'll be be like a control group see how they get on yeah Um, but yeah, I, I like the positive aspects of the pandemic where the people had time for the first time in years. There were people I knew who spent like three hours of their lives in the M50 every day commuting yeah. to a job, you know, and some of these people were, that I knew were artists who were working like either full or part time um, for, you know, a, an organisation and then, you know, using their other time to like write songs or make art. Um, but it did, it changed something. It allowed people even just, you know, to grow vegetables or mm-hmm. spend more time with their family or, like, it did rejig things a bit. It was, like, I suppose we'll look back at it in a few years and probably realise, like, how historical it was. I think we're still, it's still early days, really, isn't it, of feeling out of how things change. I don't change, think we you know? realise, we're all sort of standing around it, looking at it going, OK, we know that something has happened here, but we don't quite know what, no, you know? yeah. And I was talking to, uh, I was talking on a podcast recently and I was saying that, like, if you look at the way Swedish society is set up, it's yeah. actually set up for that for family for yeah, free time there's yeah. the thing you were mentioning um, how close you can be to nature here there's a thing called Alamens Letten which means everyone's right mm-hmm. and you can cross anybody's farm you can do anything you can pitch a tent there you can stay overnight as long as you're out of sight of their farmhouse wow. 
you can pick fruit, you can pick flowers, you can pick the same ones that you can't because they're very rare. But that thing is all there. So it really sort of hands back nature mm. to people. And mm. the whole social democracy thing is about handing back time to people. That's why yeah. we're talking the bank holiday and people are off tomorrow as yeah. well, you know? Yeah. And I think that thing of not being somebody who produces stuff just to be sold, you know? But yeah. that kind of leads me on to my next question. Mm. Is the work that you have here for sale? And yeah. how, do, how do you put a price on, on something like one of these drawings? Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose it's like, yeah, they are for sale. Um, I, I work a little bit with a gallery in Vienna. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I suppose some artists there's different models but um, the model I'm currently in is I work with a gallery in Vienna and then um, kind of in discussion with the, that gallerist we kind of decide maybe what the what the value of the work is between between herself and myself and then you to be kind of I suppose uh, fair to the buyers then once that's decided you tend the not to kind of delineate from that so you kind of stick to like if you decide a base price then you kind of keep it there yeah, and, yeah. You, and hopefully you work upwards yeah. <laughs> not always you might <laughs> work sideways or you know the other, won't refer to the other direction it no, could go no you know? no no but um but yeah so that's been positive and um and i suppose it's been good for me to kind of um start to find maybe a european audience where people might be interested in purchasing drawings um but it, it very much depends on even individual. Some some are assigned galleries. There's several commercial galleries in Ireland um, that are very successful um, in terms of an international art market. They go to art fairs and things. Um, so it really just depends. But I, like I, I suppose for me, my income is com- kind of combined between I teach um, video and NCD in the continuing education department. So I have a little bit of teaching hours. Um, and then the art, the arts council is like fundamental to my existence. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't live without them. Well, without that, the, bill, the bills go straight. The oh, bills yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then culture Ireland, of course, are very important. Um, yeah. Sport, and, you know, our, uh, particularly visual art to come. They they funded our our visit to um, Stockholm and they allowed for. Uh, the transportation of the work and for our own transport and for accommodation so they're they're really significant costs that if we as the, if the gallery and myself were to cover those costs obviously it just wouldn't be possible so it's key organizations like that that allow you know the, the burden of costs to be lifted and then you know if, and then if you're to make a sale then that you know is obviously a massive bonus so winning the lottery see. kind of thing well yeah exactly you know, yeah, let's, yeah. let's there's go easy a, there's been a few little bits so we'll see how the rest of it yeah, yeah goes if there was one thing apart from the arts council yeah. cultural and cultural if there was one thing you could ask them to change through this podcast, I'm not saying I'm friends in high places, sure, but sure. what would that be? Um, I think, like, I definitely think that this universal basic income model will make a huge difference. Um, but 2,000 people is a very small pool, and you're talking like the whole spectrum, you know, the musicians, the artists, the, the poets, the, the writers, the, everyone. Visual artists, everybody. So, yeah. I think it's changing. When I graduated from college, I graduated a long time ago now. It was 15 years ago since I graduated from You're only a young away, Oh, stop. <laughs> I, I was great. You great um, anti-aging cream. But um, the, uh, one of my tutors at the time told me, give me great career, career advice. And his advice was, um, get on the dole straight away. And he was the only person who would bring it up. And um, I, I thought he, he, he allowed a healthy relationship to this idea of buying time because other people would skirt around it and it was kind of like a taboo um, topic 
and I did it for the first two years I graduated and it allowed me time to be in the studio because otherwise I would have gone straight into full-time employment and I may have never you get disillusioned and it's very easy to like lose sight of what you want to do you know that my father was sending me ads for hairdressing courses yeah. bombarding me with them but it's also the thing as well that like 40 hours of your week and 40 hours of your energy goes towards doing something that you know okay you're probably going to be very good at, at hairdressing or anything sure. else that your dad wanted well, you to do right that, but, yeah. Yeah, but it's also by the time you expend all that energy yeah. you know and I talk to a lot of um, like footballers and athletes and that kind of mm-hmm. thing and the most important thing for them is, is there's two things one is training the other is rest, rest. so having important. that sort of you know mental Absolutely. space to be able yeah. to do that yeah. well, you, you didn't feel bad about that because I know we used to call it the start your own business grant yeah you know? and, <laughs> but even that in itself so I think like to go back to kind of what that tutor said and to kind of where we are now on the cusp of this new kind of um, era I just hope that the government um, I suppose allow for this this um, trial basis to become a broader thing and so just to take away the stigma around being creative mm. and because it should there shouldn't be there but I think maybe um, artists have felt that and when I say artists I mean the whole spectrum yeah. have felt that over the years that somehow because you're creative that you were sort of um, slightly eccentric or you know that it was going or to be a harder lazy or, or yeah. lazy or so um, building that into the kind of social democracy in a in a much more kind of um, nuts and bolts way a formal sort of a sense it's right way. It's okay to do this. It's okay like. to do it, and it's okay to be given a certain amount of money to pay for your basic living costs, so that then, because most people who are creative, they're really ambitious and they want to, you know, be doing what they love to do. But I think where things get complicated is when, like you're saying, the idea of rest isn't implemented. So you're you're burning out really fast. You're you're working in a bar. I did it myself in Dublin for years. Worked in a great bar, the Royal Oak. I'll give them a plug. They're oh, I know well. Fine pub all together. Fine pub. But you know, to like allow people to have. The rest, I think you've touched on a key thing that, like, you know, because if you're creative, you're expending a lot of your energy making something that you want, um, you know, as wide an audience possible to see. So, yeah, you, there's an idea of, like, you know, you need to look after yourself as well. So, I hope that the basic income will become a broad spectrum beyond the arts, you know, and allow people to kind of follow what they're interested in and develop that and be you know use their imagination and we're always being told business all the time you know be more creative and imaginative and all this but like do yeah. it for yourself like <laughs> exactly, not for a yeah. huge company or you know but that's the thing. I, I often say to my kids like do whatever you want in life but don't ever work as hard as I did because like yeah. it's just like you know you're on this hamster I love it don't get me wrong but yeah. I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody else sure, I want sure. to bring Neve back in there just before we close this off Neve, how important is it for you that this is a success and what would a success be here for you at the supermarket art exhibition here in Sweden this year you're hitting me with all the hard questions. I, I would be nice at home. You're getting the tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think, okay, success means different things to different people. Um, I think for me, success at supermarket looks like, you know, you're exposed to um, different practices, both artists and organizations and different models of organizations and learning from different models. And, um, and as well, like organizations have to work through you know, different situations with, you know, when there's insecurity around their space and their building, insecurity around funding. It's, you know, just something that we've all experienced, I suppose, especially in a self-organizer and artist-run sector. Um, so it's nice to, or it's encouraging um, and interesting to see how different models kind of work and how they um, they adapt to their context and their situations. So for me, it's like, yeah, learning something from another place is always a successful thing to have. Um, for the Irish artists that we bring over, it's always about like them, I suppose, having being able to showcase their work to uh, an audience that they may not 
have had the opportunity to showcase their work too before. Um, it's about like again like encouraging an artist to kind of to see again what other artists are up to in different parts of the world like especially here in Sweden and and the Nordics has quite a heavy Nordic presence and Finnish presence um, but also from like you know everything from like Spain, France um, there's Romania represented here we have you know Ukraine represented here which is really important this year um, so kind of an opportunity for the artists to see um, success it's so difficult to pin that down I suppose as well just to get a response from the audience and just, just to see actually what they're interested in what people want to see um, is always good I mean not every people are like art is very um, subjective subjective yeah. exactly so it's I mean sometimes some people may not like it and that's totally fine but actually just it's it's nice as a curator to watch how people interact and to to see you know what people are interested in what is the um, how people are engaging um, I'm answering this terribly, but there's so many, there's so many ways. I think like success, it doesn't. I can't put it down to, to one idea. And um, the kind of the nice thing about supermarket is that it's it's not a commercial art fair. There isn't a focus on sales. If that happens, brilliant. It's always a good bonus, but it is a bonus. Um, and it's really about ex being exposed to different art um, and our practices, but it's, and also having our artists kind of you know being like having their practice exposed to different audiences as well so if there's like a space for collaboration if there's space for networking um, a space for like learning about you know how to work and how to operate in different contexts it's you know that's that's the benefit and that's the success really one last question for you Laura the first visit to Stockholm do you think this will be the first of many uh, yeah definitely no um, I was like talking to my partner last night on the phone and um, you know, it was like, when are we, when are you free for a holiday, you know, because, yeah, it's like, it, I, I'm really enjoying it, and um, like I said to you, just the idea, I, I do a bit of running in the mornings, didn't this morning, I was a bit wrecked last night, but <laughs> um, just to be so close to nature so quickly in a city, I'm really impressed, and yeah, I'm, I'm I suppose the atmosphere, and, uh, you know, just all these interconnected islands, so interesting, and I feel like, you know, for an artist, and because I teach, it's very important for me to be widening my references and seeing what other artists are doing, both here in the supermarket art fair but also in the museums and the galleries in the city so yeah definitely come back first many for sure and like once you know it's like often once you have one maiden voyage made like Brendan I don't know did Brendan go back and forth I don't know there was Brian there then he but, was you missing know, for a few years all right he was yeah, yeah so yeah I would I would 100% be back yeah let us know the next time you're coming up we'll be back to talk to you again exactly. Laura, Dave, thanks very much Sian is off looking at art there but thank you very much thank indeed you so thank much. you so much an artist's duty as far as I'm concerned is to reflect the times. I think that is true of, of, of painters, sculptors, poets, musicians. I, it's for some concern, it's their choice. But I choose to reflect the times and the situations in which I find myself. That to me is my duty. I, and, and at this crucial time in our lives, when everything is so desperate, when every day is a matter of survival, I don't think you can help but be involved. Young people, black and white, know this. That's why they're so involved in politics. We will shape and mold this country, or it will not be molded and shaped at all anymore. So I don't think you have a choice. How can you be an artist and not reflect the times? The great Nina Simone there uh, telling us about her opinion of artists and their, their duty, if you like, to reflect the times.
and uh, this podcast has certainly reflected my times this week. It turned out to be something completely different to what I had expected at the start of the week, but that's never a bad thing, and I think you have to be a little bit flexible as well when these things turn up. As I say, there are a few more great interviews in the Dictaphone. They're already ready to go. I probably have enough for next week's podcast already, but let's not rush things, lads. Let's take it easy. Let's enjoy art, and let's decompress, exactly as Laura was saying there. Let's enjoy music from people like Muriel. Let's enjoy paintings. Let's enjoy all those things. Let's enjoy sport. Let's enjoy whatever it is that makes us happy. Uh, it's interesting there what Nina Simone was saying. I've probably used that quote before. It wouldn't surprise me if that's uh, cropped up in the in the podcast before, that little soundbite, because it's one of my favourites, you know. And there's two things in it that I really like about it. One is that thing of reflecting the times, the idea of sort of trying to hold a mirror up to the world we live in, but also, you know, that whole thing of, you know, finding your own place in it and finding what it is that makes you happy. And I suppose the thing that links Murray and her translations of Rory Gallagher in her own songwriting and Laura and the visual art and the, st- the video installations and the teaching that she does is the idea of expressing yourself and creating. And sometimes you know you get this idea of artists or people who do you know ah you know they're kind of you know they're messers or they're dossers or they're lazy or that kind of and they're not they're like some of the hardest working people you'll meet but it's also a thing that i think should never be seen as being an elitist pursuit right as being only for rich people or only for people who can afford to sit around and you know stare out the window until inspiration strikes because i mean there's great art and great creativity in particular to be had in so many aspects uh, of our lives i mean i look at people who can do you know woodwork and metalwork and 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 you know stuff that i could yeah you can do a little bit of it but just you know the precision that they bring to it the creative solutions you know especially in a sort of a fallen down house like the the summer house that we bought a few years ago and you bring in people who are like you know who have a different way of looking at things and that too is being creative you know people who do it in in their gardens and that you know so it, it is all around us in food i know zach albazade is mad for making food and for experimenting and that liam ganan um who's a famous chef here and even more famous gaelic football goalkeeper but i believe he's great in the kitchen as well you know so it's finding that and harnessing that outlet and being prepared to fail but also being prepared to share what it is you make whether it be food or music or art or words or poetry or whatever and there's a great sort of um, sense of community be had out of that and of course i suppose that's what this podcast comes down to but you're enough of that as murder calls and enough of that hippie shit for this week uh, I hope you've really enjoyed that uh, little deep dive into creativity and to art that we've had this week next week there'll be a little bit more sport uh, there'll be a little more, bit more business and no these people are equally creative and that's what it's a lovely thing about it this spark of creativity runs through so much of what we do both as individuals and in our community and I'm already looking forward to bringing you that but in the meantime look after you as ourselves look after one another and we'll go towards these lovely midsummer evenings uh, enjoying the art and the creativity and the time and the presence that we can bring to each other. Good luck. I'll be talking to you very soon again.